Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. guys. I am Sarah Fletcher. I am on pastoral staff with Chi Alpha, and I am happy to close out our week in love story. I thought I would introduce myself in a way that is pretty common when you introduce yourself with a picture of my family. That's me! I'm single. That's why I'm preaching the singleness week, and I am happy to bring the content. Uh, You can take that down. Great. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Uh, I am happy to continue because singleness is a part of my life. It's it's something that's been true for me of this past, well, I'm 32. Uh, I've been on staff for 12 years. Thanks, 32 is a great number. 27 is where I started feeling like an adult, though. And so, like, 32, you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm so grown. Um, <laughs> singleness is a funny thing in our culture, right? We, we kind of don't know what to do with it, church or otherwise. I remember when I was a young pastor, I went to this conference, and there was a breakout for people who were single. And I remember them getting kind of, like, fired up, and they were like, don't call us single. That makes it seem like we're completely alone in life with no friendships and no family. We're not single. We're unmarried. And I was like, okay, cool. Okay, cool. And uh, then I remember not too long after that coming across an article about singleness because when you're single, you sometimes look up articles about being single. You know what I mean? Uh, And I remember it saying, don't call us unmarried. What a terrible phrase. You're defining us by something that hasn't happened to us. Imagine if you called students unalumni or you called live people unburied. Like, (laughs) don't call us unmarried. I was like, okay, all right. So... Single is offensive. Unmarried is offensive. What are we? And I remember thinking, we're pretty sensitive, aren't we? (laughs) So I think the real question is, why are we sensitive about singleness, especially when it's becoming more common in our culture? Uh, It might not feel that way, especially in the church. Some of you feel like whenever you look in Chi Alpha that there's just couples, (laughs) and you're the only one left. I want to let you know, according to the survey results that you filled out, that is not correct. You're pointing at someone, but I don't know why. Um, (laughs) Men, one-third of you have never been on a date. Women, one-third of you have never been on a date. Men, one-third of you have been on a date but are single. Women, One-third of you have been on a date but are single. So two-thirds of us are single. Men, one-third of you are dating. Women, one-fourth of you are dating. Uh, If you're wondering about that other 8%, they said it's complicated. Our prayers are with you. (laughs) I would like to argue that maybe you should just put yourself in the single category. According to the statistics for 2021, uh, the average age for marriage now is 28.6 for women and 30.6 for men, which means that now it is normal to wait six to eight years to get married after graduating college. Um, And the reason that we're talking about it is because this six to eight years is going to be really important in your life. 
In six to eight years, that's, that's like the average. That's the middle, right? And so we should know how to live our singleness well, right? And so singleness will be many of our stories for the coming years. And the reality is our singleness looks different than UVA's singleness for all the reasons that you've been hearing in this sermon series, that we have committed to a biblical ethic that sex belongs within the covenant of marriage. And because of that, for the Christian, singleness also means celibacy for the time that they are single, which is different than most of the world. Uh, And so how do we as Christians do singleness well? Because that too looks different than the world. When I was in high school non-Christian, I saw singleness as something that was just, I know you guys love this word, a season. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I heard that. Um, That was a season that was just something you had to progress through that when you were ready for a relationship, someone would obviously show up right then. I had a plan. One, college at UVA at 17. Two, med school at UVA at 21. Three, residency at a hospital in Seattle at 25, where four, I'd meet my husband at 27, whom five, I'd marry at 30, and six, we'd adopt at 35 because pregnancy? I don't know. Uh, And if this sounds familiar to you, it is probably because, like me, you watched far too much Grey's Anatomy growing up. Um, I thought it was a great 20-year plan. Uh, God must have thought otherwise, because other than number one, My plan has been completely wrecked. And can I tell you, it hasn't been that bad. Honestly, I love my job. I love Charlottesville. I own a house. I have a cat. I know some of you think that's weird, but like actually cats are great and they're way better than dogs because you don't have to be home as much. Thank you, yes. Yeah, and Arby's is the best fast food. It is. They have pretty much the only and the best mozzarella sticks in the fast food game. (laughs) Moving on. Someone just texted me, you're wrong. Get off the stage. (laughs) You guys, the point being, I love my singleness. It's been great. Everything that those people said in the video, it's true. I have freedom. I can go on vacation when I want. I can go to Canada with my first-year core group leader over the summer with, like, two weeks' notice. We did that. It was awesome. Um, I can say yes to a road trip without checking with someone other than Pete. Um, I can pour myself into ministry in a way that is difficult for my married, um, my married co-workers or those with kids. Uh, having less autonomy because of a relationship isn't a bad thing. It's just a statement of fact. I have more flexibility because of my singleness. So in many ways, there are things about singleness that are way easier than being married. Uh, I'm not waiting for life. I'm living it. I'm not, I'm not waiting for marriage. I'm having a grand old time. I, I can explore. I can go places. I can dive deep into clubs and activities. I can dive deep into this ministry. It's a joy. And so um, I, I've gotten to this place, I would say, with a lot of help from mentors and friends and Christian books and, and people that helped me to get past the lies that had been holding me back in my young Christianhood. Um, and so here are things you will not hear me say today that I want to dispel quickly before we get to the real stuff. The first one is that God will give you a spouse when you're ready or holy enough. That's not how it works. God... 
doesn't gift a spouse to good Christians. You don't earn a boyfriend by going to church every weekend. You don't earn a girlfriend by tithing. You don't need a 3.0 or up in holiness and then cuffing season. You know, like, that's not, that's not how it works. Um, similarly, you being single right now does not mean that it's because you are too wicked of a sinner. It does not mean that you don't love God enough. Singleness is just, you know, it, it, let's put it this way. Relationships are more, I don't know, it's a giant mystery, right? It's that giant equation of, of chemistry plus availability plus willingness plus commitment plus a choice, right? And, and sometimes it just takes time for those things to line up. It, it doesn't have to be God just, here's your soulmate. And if you think that, you've, you've heard enough in this series. We can move on. You will also not hear me say that marriage will solve all your problems of singleness. Can I tell you? Wait till you have married friends. Marriage is difficult in the sense that what you dealt with before marriage, you'll probably still deal with. If you are lonely now, you will deal with loneliness in marriage. If you are insecure now, you will deal with insecurity in marriage. And the reality is not, I think we see marriage as this thing that is guaranteed security, and in some ways it is, but the reality is in life, nothing is truly secure. Spouses die. Things happen. People divorce, even though they never thought that they wanted that, but a spouse might just leave. There is insecurity in all of our lives. Marriage is not some giant fix-it for feelings of insecurity. There's just different feelings. And so... Marriage will not fix your problems. It'll bring different ones, and it'll bring blessings too. But it's not going to make you feel better in the ways that you might be expecting it to. And the third thing you're not going to hear me say is that marriage is when life really starts. That is such a cruel lie from the culture or the enemy or whoever you got it from. That is such a lie, even if it's the sweet old lady from church. The reality is, Life is life. You're living now. There are things to do now. There, there are ways to serve now. There is purpose now. And if you keep expecting light to start when you're married, you're going to miss out on everything God has for you right now. And the thing is, Christ is the most perfect human being who ever lived. And he told us that he came to give us life and life to the full. And if Christ, who modeled life to the full, never got married and never had sex... I think that's a pretty good case for life not needing that to be full. It's a blessing. It's a beautiful thing, but you can have life right now. Sound good? We ready to just push all of those things to the side and look at things that might actually be true? Yes, yes. Some of you are like, you just changed my whole life. I hope so. Um, actually, no, I hope all of you already knew those things were lies. Um, so I am living confident in my singleness. But lest you think I'm some sort of wild human who like, doesn't ever feel vulnerable, there are times I want to be married. There are times where it's about wanting a person, when it's about someone to depend on, someone to love, when it's about romance, when it's about companionship, just a person that would be mine and I could be theirs. There are times I want that. There are times where it's less about a person and it's more about the things a relationship offers. Right now, I don't have someone to share responsibilities with. The daily chores, the grocery shopping, management all fall on me, even if I've had a long day at work. There's no one to help. 
I don't know who would take care of me if I was sick. And I have to schedule relational time. And scheduling, once you graduate from college, is really hard. You think it's hard now? You have no clue. Um, it is hard to schedule time for your family and friends. There are difficulties that, that I wish I could go home to family. And I look around me and I see people who are in it together and I get tired of responsibility and doing things alone, even if the things I'm doing are amazing or joyful or purposeful. Um, my favorite movie recently has been Everything Everywhere All at Once uh, with the queen, Michelle Yeoh, and our lovely Kei Kui Kwan. Um, and it is, put very simply, a movie, I think we have a picture here, about, a, so basically, uh, it's sci-fi. I really like sci-fi. It's like fantasy sci-fi. And it's about if your life could take multiple paths, all the things that you could become, all the ways your family could look. Anyway, at one point in the movie, this couple, um, they're a couple in the main storyline. Work with me here. Uh, but in this storyline, they didn't get together when they were young, and now they're both famous in their separate spheres. One's a movie star. The other one's famous. But they're single. And in it, the man is having a conversation with a woman And he is saying in another life, I would have really liked just doing laundry and taxes with you. And in the other storyline, that's what they do. They own a laundromat. They are doing their taxes. They're, they're having to handle these things. And what it is, is it's this revelatory moment in the movie where you realize perhaps the beauty and the joy all the time were in those simple moments together. And all the single people are kind of like, oh, Right? Like, I can't, it's probably bad for me to watch that movie. It's so good. Um, it'll leave you wanting a relationship. And can I tell you, wanting someone to just do laundry and taxes with, there's nothing wrong with that. That is a good and an honorable thing. It's desiring companionship, partnership. It is a noble desire. Because essentially, it's the desire to love someone and sacrifice for them and tie your life to them. It's a really beautiful thing. And so tonight, yes, we're talking about singleness, but really what we're talking about is the tension that we feel when we have a deep, deep desire that is noble and good, but we don't see it happening, and we don't know if it ever will. Are you guys there with me? You know that feeling of, this is such a good thing. I don't even have to like feel feel bad about wanting this because this is good. And I don't know if it's ever going to happen for me. That is what we're talking about tonight. Um, so if you're in a relationship, you don't get to tune out because there will still be moments in your life where you face this feeling of something you deeply desire and it doesn't seem to be happening. Uh, as a sort of preview, I want to offer you this incredible scripture. It's from a letter to the church in Philippi by Paul. He says this amazing thing. Maybe you've heard it before. Philipp uh, Philippians 4.12. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He is content in the now in the whatever is. How is that possible? And keep in mind, Paul isn't just talking about singleness, though he is. Paul is talking about the fact that he has been shipwrecked, that he has been beaten, that he has been imprisoned, all manner of woes, and yet he has found the secret to being content in any and every situation, right? I am going to take a moment to give us some practical and biblical tips for how to live contentedly 
to how to live vibrantly in your singleness. And then I'm going to share a story about a time that I faced my own unmet desire of marriage. And then um, I have a scripture that is going to take us home in this series that I really hope you'll, you'll get into with me. I think it's incredibly powerful. But to start, uh, five healthy habits for thriving in your singleness. Now you don't have to click on the clickbait titles. We've got them for you. Here's the first one, cultivate deep relationships. Romans 12:5 says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We are meant to be a part of something. We are meant to belong to others, not just in marriage, but as this part of the body. We have a deep desire to be known, to have a place to belong, and you can have that before you're married. You can have that in deep friendships. You can have that in your family. You have to find a committed group of people who will ask you about your life, hold you accountable. Um, there's no reason you have to be lonely. Can I say that? You don't have to be lonely. You can have deep rich relationships. I do holidays with Blair Brake and her family. Like, because my family doesn't do holidays, long story, ask me later. I do holidays with Blair. Uh, I travel with my friends. I have been a bridesmaid 10 times. And we're getting ready for number 11, right, Amanda? Where are you? She might be sick. 33 days, though. Um, C.S. Lewis said, friendship is unnecessary like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that gives value to survival. I know, right? Ooh, thank you. Say it louder. Um, friendship will give value to your life. Be deep. Number two, pursue purity. Can I tell you, it will be really hard to be content in your singleness if you are just burning up with lust. Um, yeah, it's not fun. Song of Solomon, promise me, O women of Jerusalem and men, not to awaken love until the time is right. Can I tell you, know your triggers and run away from them. Yes, I love the feedback. Let's get there. I, I, it's good. You can say an amen. Um, don't feed the fire. If watching that TV show causes you to think or do things that you shouldn't, it is the modern age. There are like 3,000 others to watch. Maybe 80% of those are bad, but you've still got a large number. I've been watching, like, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, there's some good things out there. You can ask me later. Um, this is true with music, too. There are things that you might just not need to listen to. And some of you are going to be like, Sarah, it is not a sin to listen to Lizzo. I understand. I memorized every single word to Truth Hurts because all my cousins memorized it, and I just kind of wish I hadn't. Um, put the sing and single. Um, anyway, I did not even have that. This is, whoa, it's getting hot up here. Um, it might not be a sin, but can you tell me, is it wise? That's what I'm going to leave you with. Pursue purity. It'll change your life. Three, welcome the opposite sex into your life. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. This word helper isn't about service or being under authority. It's about deep relationship. It is a word that in the Bible is used only other for one other person, and that is God himself as our helper. We are not made to be alone. And can I tell you, in my opinion, this verse isn't just about marriage. This verse is about the fact that when man was lonely, God's solution was not to make another man to go play hoops with, it was to make a woman. 
we do require presence of the opposite sex. There is something that I get in my friendships with men that I don't get in my friendships with women. And can I tell you, my dad died uh, several years ago, and since my dad has died, I have become so much more aware of this, of how meaningful it is when I have healthy male friendships and male relationships in my life, that whether it's uh, uh, guys who drag me to Super Bowl parties or give me perspectives I wouldn't have found on my own. I, I, some of you have heard me share this. I lived with Josh Fairchild and Kathy Fairchild for a while, and I was living with them when they had Carter. And I got to see Josh Fairchild, who I have known since 2008, become a dad. It was so sweet to see this guy who'd just been like this guy who's now my co-worker, all of a sudden like, be this guy I care about who becomes a dad. And that'll change your life. I have a pastor who, who takes me out to lunch and, and has been seeing me when I feel unseen sometimes. It is meaningful to develop real relationships with people of the opposite gender. It doesn't just have to be romantic. We are not made to be alone. Four, if you want to date... Put yourself in a position to date. Um, this is a secret to being content in singleness because the reality is some of you are not content in your singleness and to be content, you have to know that you are working towards it and you should work towards it. Um, can I tell you, having opposite sex friendships is great for the like learning something from the opposite sex, but it's also great for meeting people of the opposite sex? Um, ladies. If you are spending all your time with your housemates in your pajamas talking about how the men won't ask you out, you should probably join an intramural team. Um, guys, if all you do is play FIFA, meet some people after M&L. There's going to be ladies all around here. And ladies, help them out. Can you get out of the tight little circles? Can you, like... Just expand it a little bit so someone can get in there, help them out, right? Like, you guys are never going to date anybody if you don't actually get out of your living room. Um, great. Also, dating apps are a thing. Some of you asked me this at the breakout, do I think dating apps are okay? Yeah. Go for it. I mean, there's a lot of people here right now like, I'm in a little bit of a different category. Like, I'm surrounded by 18-year-olds. I kind of need something to help me out. Um, but, <laughs> but if you find yourself in a position where you are not in a church or a workplace where you can meet people who are suitable to be someone you would pursue, yeah, join an app. I'm on them. I recommend Hinge. I don't know. Um, but if they don't say Jesus or church in their profile, I'm not talking like label Christian. A lot of people can label themselves a Christian. If they do not mention Jesus, great. That's just a freebie. I recommend it. Um, can I also say, I think our community, especially our women, have a problem with feeling inadequate. They, they think that, that they're single because they're not, sometimes it's not, good enough, not lovable enough, not desirable enough. This is true for men too, not just women. And sometimes it's not about not blank enough, it's about too much of something. You think, oh, I'm too loud, or I'm too quirky, or I'm too shy. And it makes people hide away, and you start to just write it off, and you say, it's not going to happen for me. Like, nobody, I'm not 
I'm not enough. This is going to be one of those moments where I can say it now when I'm 32. I don't know if I could say it when I was giving this message when I was like 26 years, so young. You guys are so young. I have so many friends who, let me tell you, are they quirky? I was in drama club in high school. Like, if my drama club friends can find people who get them and love them, you're set. <laughs> you're set. Wait for that person who has the same kind of weird as you. You'll be fine. I promise you, there are just as weird men as there are girls, and just as weird girls as they are men. In the best ways, right? Like the good kind of weird. You've got it. They've got it. Don't look down on your weird. Go have fun. Um, that was probably a weird way to say that. Anyway, uh, Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Men, tell him. You want me to tell him? He who finds a wife. Now, less ladies, you think it's only the guy's job. Ruth was the one who asked Boaz out. So I'm just saying, some of you can ask too, or at least be like, I'd be interested. Would you be interested? Are we cool with that? Can we receive that? It's biblical. It's biblical. Great. Um, so you guys did have some things that you wanted to pull it back. Pull it back. You have some things you wanted to say to the opposite gender from the survey, men speaking to women, women speaking to men. I wanted to share a few of those. <clears throat> Girls to guys. Uh, I picked the ones that were repeated the most frequently. These aren't like one-offs. These are the ones that showed up like a lot of times. Number one, shoot your shot with a smiley face. <laughs> Two, be clear. Clear is kind. If you are interested, say you're interested. Don't leave them guessing. Just say it. Three, please be careful how you form emotional connections with women. We can get confused. Yes, it is good to have female friendships, but if you are getting super close with someone and you have no intentions of dating them, you should let them know that. We got to be careful about that. We've got to honor one another and make sure that we all know what page we're on. Next, um, this is for the white men coming to you from our women of color. You can date outside your race. <laughs> and finally, um, I know it's, this is a quote, I'm quoting this person. I know it's really hard to be a good man in this culture, but we're really proud of you guys for choosing to pursue the Lord. Sweet. All right. Um, girls, they had some things to say to you, too. Number one, we can't read your mind. <laughs> Tell us. So it sounds like communication is going both ways. Number two, just take a chance and go on the date. It does not have to mean anything more than one date. And if you aren't feeling it, just be honest. Don't make excuses. Say, thank you. It was really great of you to ask me out. I'm really honored by it. I don't think I'm interested, but I'd really appreciate our friendship. Move on. And then it doesn't have to be weird. Right? So, um, yeah, just take a chance and go on the date. Seriously. <laughs> Um, third, understand how impactful this is for us to be expected to take the first move all the time. 
it is really hard to put ourselves out there to be rejected. Y'all, they are primarily in the space of initiating, and it is really hard to be rejected. So let's be charitable to that, and let's make space to be honorable and not be confusing and say yes sometimes. Um, finally, girls, guys stayed up solely to listen to Midnight's when it dropped, too. I think what they're saying is that they have feelings. Um, and so, <laughs> honor men's feelings. Um, Taylor Swift, I don't know. Maybe some of the guys don't know. Uh, point being, we're all human. We all have hearts. Can we be kind to one another? Sound good? Everybody receiving something from this? Beautiful. Our last point, five. Pursue contentment in Christ, not singleness or marriage. Um, So Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And the next verse says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The key to contentment as a single person in your singleness is not to try to make singleness into something that will satisfy you. It is to seek contentment in Christ. We don't need a, a lifestyle or, or a, a thing to cont- find our contentment in. We find it in Christ. And so if you keep trying to talk yourself into singleness is great. It, it, there's freedom. It's great. I want it. I want it. That is not going to satisfy you. That's not how you become content. You become content by pursuing depth with the God who loves you, with the God who wants to speak to you every single day, with the God who knows the depths of your heart. That is how you find contentment. Um, I think the reason I care about this too, I added this to my notes because it's something that I found myself saying more recently. When you try to like, make yourself content in singleness, you are actually killing your desire. You are killing the heart that God gave you. It is good to desire relationship. It is good to want to commit your life to someone. It is good to want to share that, to be vulnerable, to be sacrificial, to give yourself. That is a good thing, and don't you dare kill it in the name of trying to make life more easy. The reality is Christ can make us content even while we're desiring, even while we're hoping, even while we're desperate at times. And in fact, maybe Christ wants us to honor that desire more than to get rid of it. Does that make sense? Like desire is something that God gave us that gets to mirror this really beautiful thing of like marriage is a picture of God and and humanity and union. Our desire is something that points to the fact that we should desire God and that he desires us. When we kill desire, we're killing a really beautiful picture of how we're supposed to relate to the king of the universe. God gave you your heart for a reason. Don't destroy your heart, but find a way to carry that desire and find your contentment in Christ at the same time. I realize that's pretty difficult, but can you, like, receive that from me? Do you get what I mean? Give me, like, a nod. Find your contentment in Christ, not in singleness and not in marriage, because can I tell you, if you try to find your contentment in marriage, it will crumble under your expectations. It has happened to some of my friends where they thought marriage was the answer to their loneliness or their insecurity or their fear. And the reality is those things keep going. You just have someone to do it with. Everything that you try to find your contentment in will crumble 
except for Christ, because nothing else can carry the weight of your worship. And when you try to find your contentment in something, that's what you're doing. You're worshiping it. You're bowing at the altar of marriage or the altar of singleness when you're supposed to bow at the altar of God. Find your contentment in him. Okay, so those were my tips. Let's make this personal now. You might not know this about me. I almost got married once. Um, So there was this guy who made me reconsider all my previous plans. He was my first crush in fourth grade. Um, he was kind of like wild. He was like the, like the rebel boy who like, I don't know, he was, he was a little bit of a class clown, had a bit of a temper, got sent to military camp, um, left for a few years for military school, came back, temper was gone, and here we were. It was one hot summer day. It was an ice cream social in my town, and there's this boy coming up on a longboard, and then he was my second crush too. Um... <laughs> We dated for the first time my senior year of high school, uh, and then we broke up going to college because we thought that was what you were supposed to do. Um, And then we dated again while I was in college. I was a Christian by then. He was not quickly realized that really wasn't working for my faith, and so we broke up. Cry, cry. It was bad. Um, And then we dated again because he became a Christian, and we were like, the stars have aligned. We both love Jesus. We both care about each other. Let's go for round three. So... (laughs) We're dating round three now. We're talking about marriage. We're like reading the Tim Keller books. We're, you know, we're praying together. We're talking about what our life will look like. He, he never went to college. He wasn't that kind of guy. He was different type of smart. And so he was a river guide. I was going to be a bus driver so that I could have a schedule that would work for our kids. We were planning it all out. And I remember it was such a beautiful dream. And yet something in my heart just was never truly at peace. I was so mad about it because it was such a beautiful dream. And there was just this little thing in me that kept being like, Sarah, Sarah, are you sure? And I was like, he's Christian now. And it'd be like, are you sure? And it'd be like, we're going to have a beautiful life and raise our kids in the church. And it'd be like, are you sure? And I, so my thing in college, when I had, it, had to like talk it out with God, I'd go to Beaver Creek over by Crozet and I'd sit by the water and I would stay until the Lord gave me an answer. Didn't matter if it was ours. I would stay until the Lord told me what I was supposed to do. And so here I am, I'm at Beaver Creek and I'm sitting on the hill and I'm crying out to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, like this makes so much sense. Everything in our life has been pointing to this. This is like the guy. We've tried this three times. Everything makes sense. Lord, what is happening? And I'm pressing in. It's probably two and a half hours at this point. And finally the Lord speaks. And this doesn't happen to me like often, but it happens sometimes. And so he said, Sarah, yes, you could marry this guy and you would have it. You would have the jobs and you would have the kids and it would be good and you would raise them in the church and you will never see what I have for you. Ouch! You will never see what I have for you. It will be good. But you're going to miss out on what I have for you. And I remember in that moment, my flesh wanted to shout out, this is a deal breaker. Everything makes sense. Every box is checked. Why isn't this going to work? And just God saying, you're going to miss out on what I have for you. And the reality is, in that moment, you are sitting there and you're having to say, is getting married really more important than my relationship with my creator? And can I tell you, I was wise enough at that point in my faith to know that one act of obedience doesn't mean one act of disobedience. It means a trend. And that if I said no to the Lord right now, that this was going to be a trend in my relational life. So I was choosing, was it this or was it the Lord? Which love story mattered more, mine in the skies or mine in the Lord's? 
which love story would I choose? Probably pretty obvious. I'm preaching. Um, I stayed. I stayed, and I prayed a prayer of gratitude to the Lord that he was one who guides me. I said, please, I trust my future to you. And I broke up. And I signed on to five years with Chi Alpha. And I committed. And it has been the most joyful 12 years on this staff. I'm so thankful for what the Lord did. And that guy is no longer following the Lord. I don't know if that would have happened if we were married. It doesn't even really matter. But the point being, the Lord has even been there for me to say, like, my good for you is real. I'm taking care of you. I'm keeping you safe. Um, I, want to sh- I have a scripture I want to share with you. And this is kind of where we're, where we're closing is this scripture because I think it's so powerful. It's in Daniel 3. If you have your Bibles, please feel free to turn to uh, Daniel 3. I'm not going to be putting up all of it on the screen, but I am going to be putting up the most important part. So what's happening in this part of the scripture is that Israel is in a time of exile in Babylon. So all the people of Israel, most of the people of Israel are in Babylon and they're having to adapt to this culture and they're under a foreign king. And the king there uh, and the culture don't respect their faith, right? It's different than them. They're not respecting it. And the king there, King Nebuchadnezzar, has made this golden idol, so this big statue of gold, 90 feet tall. It's pretty tall. I don't know how tall that is. I'm not like a person with numbers. but And it's nine feet wide, so it's really big. And he has commanded people to worship it anytime they hear this particular music, the king's music, which was his choice of cue. Basically, you hear the music, you have to bow down to the idol wherever you are and worship it. And if you don't, he'll kill you. He'll sentence you to death. So what's happened is that as this is going on, people in the king's court are using this as an opportunity to persecute the people of God. And so in verse 8, it says, at, uh, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Jumping to verse 12. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of ba- Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. So they're pointing at these Jews and they're saying, hey, they're not doing it. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And this is where I really want you to cue in. It's verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You guys, the faith it took to say that, I mean, I want to get married, but I want to breathe more. Like, I want to live, right? And they are in this situation, the flames are hot on their face, they're bound, they are facing their death, 
And yet, they still considered God more worth it. They considered God not worth more than marriage, worth more than life. And then they say this thing. If you want to go to the next slide. Even if he does not save us. He can save us. But even if he does not, it changes nothing. And that blew me away, that phrase, if he does not, because that's the deep heart tension of wanting something that is good and noble, that your heart truly desires, that's not a bad thing to want, and realizing it may not be granted, God is still worth it. Everything is worthless when compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing God and loving him, and nothing is worth abandoning him. These things are good, yes, but God is great. God is great. We're going to have a moment to respond to this. Um, Can I just say this isn't just singleness. This is where we go back to this broadening. This is any area where we are tempted to hold on to our plans over God's plans, to say, God, you can't have it. I can't live without this. Or God, this is where I find my contentment. What are you doing? Maybe it's your profession. Maybe it's a standard of living. Maybe it's comfort or esteem or living in a certain place or a a sin that's like this pet sin that you just don't want to let go of. Um, Maybe you're willing to say you're a Christian, but you're not willing to live it out in front of your friends or your family who make fun of you when you actually try to live the way the word says. Whatever it is, this thing that you are looking for contentment in, God speaks to us softly in those moments. He says, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in a future where even if you die in a furnace 30 seconds from now, the eternity that you have with me is so much greater. The joys are so much higher. The love is so much deeper. It is so much more worth it than bowing down at that altar. It doesn't mean emotions don't happen. It doesn't mean there are days where I am not struggling with sadness or anger or cynicism because I wonder if it'll ever happen for me. Days where I think about the children I probably would have had by now, that I'd be living closer to home, that I would have someone to come home to. But the reality is my emotions don't dictate my belief. My emotions are real. I want to honor my emotions, but they do not get to tell me what is true or not. God's love is true, and it is greater than my emotions. Worship team, if you want to come up. If given the chance, I truly can say I would never have traded that opportunity to be married, to be standing right here, right now, talking to you. To to trade it for the joys that I've had in the last few years of friendships and purpose and, and just depth in the relationships that I have had space to attend to, these relationships that I will carry with me after I get married, if I do. When it came down to it, that deal breaker, that thing that just felt like, was it worth the cost? It wasn't. I had to lay it down. It wasn't a deal breaker. Christ came first, and I am so grateful. That is the question I want to ask us tonight as we're closing. Do you have a deal breaker between you and God? 
Are there areas in your life that you have not allowed him to touch? He can move in all the other ways. You can start being sanctified in those other places. You can go to church and feel good about it. But that area of your life, no, that's off limits. What are you holding on to? What are you bowing at the altar of? Um, Some of you in this room have been visiting for this series, and I'm so grateful that you're here. Um, Some of you have not made a decision to follow Jesus. And if you were at all like I was at your age in college, you were finding that the things that you worship, the things that you have tried to put your contentment into are not holding up. Your reputation cannot hold up under the weight of your worship. Your relationships cannot hold up under the weight of your worship. They're not filling you with what you thought they would fill you with. Can I tell you, there is a love story that God wants to write in your life. That there is a God who is worth so much more and he is the only thing that can carry the weight of your worship and sustain it and give you that joy that is promised in a relationship with him that won't break, that won't abandon you, that won't die. I want to challenge you tonight. If you are ready to lay down those things that you have been bowing at the altar of, that you have been putting the weight of your worship on, I want you to tell someone tonight. Just take that chance. The person that you came with, the friend that you're sitting with, can you tell them, how do I do this? How do I make a decision to follow this God and to be a part of this love story that he wants to write? And then some of you are Christians. We're all Christians. Well, everybody else, I guess. Um, But there's something you're holding on to that you need to lay down. There's something that you need to say, God, maybe this is a deal breaker in my life. I need you to like loosen my grip because I need help. I don't know how to let it go. Just because it is the love story series. If it's marriage guys, you're going to be okay. Whether you're single, whether you're not, whether it's six years or it's 16 years, you will be okay because the living God loves you. And he's going to give you deep relationships and love and truth and a hope that goes beyond even your life. An eternal hope and an eternal love. And so as the the team takes us into worship, I just want to challenge you Don't just stand up and sing. I think it's easy sometimes for us to just step into that. And sometimes it's good to just step into worship. But right now, if there is something you have to do, I want you to do it. Get on your knees at your chair. Come to the altar if you want and just kneel and pray a prayer. Go to the back if you don't want to be up front. Do the work. This is our last day of the series. If there is something God has been convicting you of in these last five weeks, do not leave tonight without putting it on the altar and saying, God, will you take it? Tonight is the night, and I don't want you to walk away from it. Okay? Does that sound good? Okay. Well, those of you who are ready to stand, please feel free to stand. And um, God, I just pray your presence over these students. I pray you would break chains in their hearts that need to be broken. I pray that you would relieve them of the weight of worship that they have placed on false and broken things. God, I pray that you would turn their faces to you and that you would show them that you are so, so worth it. 
in every part of their life, singleness, married life, working, not working, whatever it would be, God, you are the only one who is worthy of our worship, who is worthy of our lives. And so we give them to you tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God, we thank you for what you've been doing over these last five weeks. We thank you for the ways that you have challenged us, God. We thank you for the ways that you have convicted us of sin and called us to freedom and called us to purity. We thank you for the ways that you have affirmed our hearts and told us that we are built to love, that we are built to need one another and that that is good. But Lord, thank you most of all as we worship, as we read your word, as we gather together weekly in core groups at MNL, God, that as we meet in one-on-ones, as we, as we just approach your throne, God, we are reminded that the greatest story of all is the one that you are writing with your people, that you are writing with each one of us in here. And God, would you teach us to love that story more than any other one that could possibly be written in our lives? Teach us to surrender the things we need to surrender. God, loosen the grip of our hands on those altars that are crumbling. And Lord, point us towards your cross that never fails, that never breaks, that never ends. Your love and the covenant you have made with us through the blood of your Son. Thank you, God, for that story and help us to carry it with a passion in our hearts, Lord, more and more and more every day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you guys. I hope that this sermon series has served you so well. We want you to walk into freedom. We want you to walk into beautiful lives and beautiful marriages and beautiful singleness and beautiful whatever the Lord has for you, because if he is with you and you are doing it with him, it is beautiful. It is great. So uh, I'll pronounce the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance to you. And may he give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, for this week. Walk it out and uh, have a good time. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.